Kia ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by Pharmac. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler and today I'm talking to Dr. David McNamara about wheeze and asthma in the under five age group. David is a paediatric respiratory and sleep medicine specialist at Starship Children's Hospital in Auckland. He is a graduate of Auckland Medical School and completed paediatric respiratory training in 2006. He underwent sleep medicine training at Sydney Children's Hospital and his clinical interests include asthma and obstructive sleep apnea in children. Welcome, David. Thank you very much. The new Asthma and Respiratory Foundation of New Zealand guidelines for children have recently been released. A statement in these guidelines suggests all children who have asthma are to be correctly diagnosed and that the under fives are a unique group. David, what makes this group unique? Normally, when we think about asthma and wheeze, um, we're thinking about a chronic or lifelong disease, and that's not true for children under five. So asthma in preschool or wheeze in preschool is not a lifelong diagnosis, um, and many children will grow out of it. Um, We think that about 50% of kids who are wheezy at three years of age won't have asthma when they're at school age or when they're adults, but that doesn't actually help us in determining what treatment they need right now. There are also varying patterns of wheeze in this age group. So there are some children who only have wheeze with viruses and there are some children who have wheeze all the time. And only those children with frequent symptoms will respond to preventers. Um, And treatment in this group is based on the frequency of symptoms and the risk of future flare-ups. So David, in New Zealand, a large number of children have poor health outcomes and in asthma particularly. Data tells us Maori and Pacific children with asthma are more likely to have severe symptoms, to be hospitalised and are less likely to be prescribed an inhaled corticosteroid, less likely to have an action plan or receive adequate education. What do you think is happening here? I think there's both systemic and personal factors. Um, Systemically, People who live in disadvantaged groups uh, live in areas where the health system is also under pressure and the health system's not providing care in a form that promotes continuity of care. And we need a system that promotes partnership um, and empowerment for patients to look after their health and the health of their children. With the personal factors, I think it's difficult when there's contrasting realities about disadvantage and compliance and adherence and some people have costs and obligations that health professionals might not be aware of and we see particularly when people are unable to attend a health appointment for their own health because they're looking after other family members that they might get discharged from the hospital system and have to re-enter the entire process. So when we're looking after patients, there is a need for partnership and simply asking what would work for you. Um, And we need to also recognise disparity and disadvantage. So thinking about children who wheeze under the age of one now, we use the PREDICT guidelines for bronchiolitis. I wonder if you can talk about these. So the, the PREDICT guidelines are for the acute management of bronchiolitis and that applies to children under one year of age with acute wheeze. And the reason they're separate is that there is no preventive or curative treatment for bronchiolitis. So care is supportive with oxygen and fluids if needed, and and there's no bronchodilator or steroid use required. 
It is very important when looking after these children to recognise chronic or recurrent wheeze or shortness of breath um, because that suggests that there's another underlying diagnosis such as a structural airway problem or an wheeze. So David, you've said no bronchodilators for the under one age group, is that correct? Yes, there's been multiple trials trying to treat children of this age group with steroids and bronchodilators and they're simply not effective. And so it's very important to concentrate on the therapies that actually work and are important. Great, thank you. So moving on now to the child who wheezes between the age of one and four years. Working up these children, we're trialling therapy. It's suggested in the guidelines that we label and specifically label. Can you talk us through this? So there's two reasons for this. Firstly, it's a signal to the next treating practitioner that they need to assess the response to the treatment that's been prescribed. And then they can either label the patient as having asthma or not having asthma, depending on their response. Secondly, there's a need for epidemiological data. These children used to be labeled as asthma and they're actually the largest group of children admitted to hospital with respiratory problems. And with the change to calling all these children wheeze, they've disappeared from the epidemiological data. Um, so it's very important we bring them back in by attaching the label asthma in some form. And we've chosen to call it preschool asthma and suspected asthma um, to ensure that they are counted in the epidemiological data. So thinking about the diagnostic categories in this age group now, what are the special features of each group? So we have children who have occasional symptoms with wheeze only when they've got viruses and then we have children who have more frequent symptoms. Lung function testing is not available in these children um, so categorization really is on the response to therapy. For the children who have very infrequent symptoms and don't have severe flare-ups so that is they don't end up admitted to hospital that means that they don't have ongoing inflammation in their airways all the time. So they don't need an inhaled steroid as a preventer. But preschool children who have frequent wheeze during a normal week, in the same way as an older child or adult with asthma, they do have some ongoing inflammation and we should trial inhaled steroids in that group. And if they respond, call them preschool asthma. If they don't respond, then we need to reconsider the diagnosis completely because there are some children in this group who do have structural airway problems or other conditions that cause them to wheeze. So often parents will ask us about, will my child go on to develop asthma? So what are the features that increase the probability of going on to develop asthma in children who wheeze versus those who are less likely? We can't precisely predict who will have asthma when they are older at school age or adulthood. And unfortunately, that the pattern of wheeze, whether they're frequent or infrequent, doesn't help with this either. But there are some features that help. So if the child has a personal history of eczema or hay fever, or the parent, one of the parents has a history of asthma, or if we do some testing and the child is sensitized to air allergens or has an elevated eosinophil count, um, those add up to predict that the child's got a greater chance of having asthma later on. A chronic wet cough for me is always a red flag, and at this point I always consider bronchiectasis. What are the other red flags to consider in a preschooler who wheezes? 
So the things to think about are signs of chronic disease. So firstly, clubbing, and then failure to thrive or poor growth. And lastly, chest wall deformity, which would suggest ongoing chronic work of breathing. Assessing asthma control and severity now, David, what are the features that are associated with a poorer outcome? And what tools can we use to assess control and severity in this age group? So when we talk about control, uh, we're largely talking about the frequency of symptoms, particularly wheeze, how often the child wheezes during a normal week, and how often they wake with wheeze or cough overnight. And the other thing to think about is their exercise capacity and ability to engage in normal activities. We also need to think about risk, which would include all the flare-ups in the last 12 months and how likely it is the child will go on to have another flare-up. For children from age four, we can use the child version of the asthma control test, which asks very similar questions to this and has the advantage it's a numerical score and you can maintain a record of the patient's score and they can fill it out in their waiting room while they're waiting to see you. As primary care practitioners managing childhood asthma in New Zealand, apart from prescribing drugs, what other things should we be discussing with our patients? I think for all families, um, not just Maori families, we need to think about partnership and empowerment. And part of that is providing continuity of care and encouraging families to come back to the same practitioner to get a consistent assessment and ongoing diagnosis rather than attending emergency providers after hours. Reducing smoke exposure is really important and that includes vaping exposure which um, does contain nicotine with some products. New Zealand has very poor housing, uh, a lot of damp and mould and it's very important that you are aware of the local Healthy Homes Initiative in your own DHB and refer when appropriate. And we need to consider income and how we can support with that. Health literacy is really important and that when we provide asthma education, we need to think about overall health literacy as well and providing general health education. And when assessing patients, it's really crucial to consider their adherence And now that we have electronic prescribing records, it's helpful to be able to simply look up and see when patients have picked up their inhalers. Where possible, every patient should have an action plan, and that's a really useful tool for education. And we need to consider barriers to care, what's stopping the family attending for follow-up and getting regular continuity of care. And lastly, think about preventative care, such as providing flu and pneumococcal vaccines. So moving on to medications now, what inhaler device do we use in this age group? Talk us through this. So most inhalers require some sort of active, cooperative, coordinated effort on on the part of the patient. And that's obviously not possible on a young child. So the way around that is from birth till about four years of age, we can use a spacer with a mask. From about four years, children should be able to form a good seal around the mouthpiece without a mask so we can start using a spacer on its own from there. Some of the dry powder inhalers are quite hard to use and require a lot of coordination so we recommend that from about seven years of age. We generally don't recommend using an MDI on its own especially for preventer inhalers they should always be used with a spacer if possible. 
So these medications require a stepwise approach to treatment when treating wheeze in the one to four year old age group. There are steps one to four. I wonder if you can tell us about these. The reason for a stepwise approach is to balance the effectiveness of the medication versus the risk of the side effects. Um, And so the only way to get the right dose for the patient is to step up until the patient's well controlled. And then when they're controlled, step down. And the step down step is very important. For the first step, we start at just as needed salbutamol. For preschoolers who are poorly controlled or who've have had severe exacerbations, then we would add an inhaled corticosteroid at step two. Step three would be two medications. um, And in preschoolers, we use Montelukast rather than long-acting beta agonists. Step four is the same, um, but at that step, we really need to reconsider the diagnosis and adherence uh, because generally most children and preschoolers with asthma will respond to appropriate treatment if they're taking it and if they're not responding then they need to be referred to secondary care for further investigation. Uh, So Montelukast is a weak anti-inflammatory. It comes in a convenient chewable tablet. It's quite tasty, looks like a lolly. In randomized trials Montelukast had very low side effects reported and in fact at the same rate of controls but since it's come out on the market there's been reports of sleep disturbance behavioral disturbance and then also in teenagers risks of increased suicidal ideation so it's a a nice effective medication that works for some people not everybody but far now do need to be warned about the possibility of side effects and stop the medication immediately if they get those side effects In a child who you start on Montelukast, how frequently should we be reviewing them with those side effects in mind? All children with wheeze and asthma need to be reviewed about every three months, and that's largely around the control of their symptoms. I think the side effects from Montelukast itself come on fairly quickly, um, so the family will will know within a couple of days and, and will be stopping the medication if they've been warned. Thank you for clarifying that. So you mentioned action plans before. And as you said, every child should have an action plan, but the practicality is they don't get given them. But if they do get given them, do they work? And what are the barriers to giving an action plan? Yeah, so the rate of issuing action plans in children is very, very low. Um, And I think the main barrier simply is time. They are proven as part of an education package to be effective, and that's in randomised trials and reducing children being readmitted to hospital. So so they do work and they are important. And I think it's it's the responsibility of the prescriber to ensure that an asthma action plan is given. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that the prescriber themselves needs to do the action plan or go over it with the family. And that might be something you want to allocate to your practice nurse or refer to a community nurse educator to follow up with the education and explain the action plan to the family. So David, which children need to be referred on? So children need to be referred on if they have signs of poor control despite appropriate treatment. And that would be children who have um, poor control on two medications because that suggests they've got some other underlying diagnosis. The other things to think about are signs of chronic disease that we talked about before, and particularly the child who wheezes every single day. 
And David, just wrapping up now, to conclude our podcast, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners? I think the number one message that we would like to promote in these guidelines is that there is a need to achieve equity in asthma outcomes in New Zealand. Um, My other take-home message is a bit more prosaic, but um, firstly, diagnosis is based on the response to therapy. And what that means is that there needs to be follow-up and recall to ensure that the patient has or hasn't responded. There is a need for recall and follow-up for ongoing management of control. When you're seeing a child or an adult with wheeze or asthma, always check their inhaler technique and always provide a small amount of asthma education in appropriately sized chunks. Fantastic. Thank you for your time today, David. It's been a pleasure talking to you. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, please fill in a Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. You'll also find some free to access resources, webinars, GEMS and e-learning modules. Thank you.